Let me just say with that introduction that you are decidedly not our favorite church. <laughs> it's like coming home every time we get to come here. So thank you. Um, we, we, we love to come to Redeemer. And it's not, not just because it's New England. It's and, and I, ha, I, only, I have a limited time to preach. Oh, there's the clock over there. I love it when it's over where I can't really see it. But I once preached 50 minutes in a sermon here, and the pastor that was here at that time encouraged me never to do that again. So, And I love him very much, but I do get carried away. Um, we love to come here because it really is like coming home. We have found, we, we, vi- we don't visit a lot of churches, but we visit a, a, a good handful, and all of the churches are wonderful churches. Um, is, is this the friendliest church that we attend? It's pretty close. Yeah, we just really thank you for that, because we just feel loved and accepted, and it's, um, it's, it's a real blessing to us. Uh, and thank you, for, thank you for the Apostles' Creed. Thank you for the Lord's Prayer. I, I, love, I love it when that is, those things are included in the worship service because it binds us with the historical church uh, from the very beginning. And I feel like I'm, we're, not, you know, we're not a 21st century church. We're, we're, we're a church through the ages, and we're, we're bound with those guys. So I praise God for that. Well, uh, in, for the sake of time, I, I wanted to read the passage <clears throat> that I'll base my sermon from. It's not a... It's not a um, a verse-by-verse presentation, but it does uh, very strongly touch on this passage from Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12, and um, not to begin out of context or anything at all like that, because there is a context where Paul has developed the gospel and the importance of the gospel, the absolute absolute necessity of the gospel, and uh, the whole idea of the necessity of justification in the eyes of a holy God and that justification is received by faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and now we get to to chapter 5, verse 12, and he uh, gives us a contrast between the first Adam and the the second Adam. And uh, as you'll see, I think, as the the message unfolds, um, this, this, this is a very vital paradigm for understanding the Bible and the salvation that God has for us in the Bible. I'm so thankful for these verses. And so here now is the word of the living God. Uh, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Romans chapter 5, beginning with the 12th verse, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who, uh, those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And the, 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 the Greek word there simply means an example. It's not a fancy technical term that, as Paul employs it. It's an example of the one who was to come. So uh, the first Adam and the second Adam or the first Adam and the last Adam, if you will, are very tightly connected. And we must never forget that. Verse 15, But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace 
of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who, uh, who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, let me just ask the Lord's help as we go through the, the message today. Our Father, we come to you as children of the living God. We come to, the, to you as those who need to be fed and fed regularly. And Lord, as we uh, have before us now um, a contrast between Adam and Jesus Christ, May you help us see these things clearly so that we can embrace Christ in a, a, a full way, understanding what he has done for us and how he has redeemed us and the change that that makes for our lives now and for all eternity. I pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, have you noticed... These days, people taking selfies. Everywhere I go, if there's anything worth looking at anywhere, there's somebody taking a selfie of him or herself with other people against the background of whatever it is. My wife took a selfie of uh, Tim and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson yesterday in the library in Concord, right? And she put it on Facebook for all to see. And may I say that he looks a lot better than I. But nonetheless, people are taking selfies. It's not, it's not really a new phenomenon, uh, selfies. People have been doing that for centuries. Um, before the digital age, they were called um, snapshots or um, 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 photos. And before we had photographs, uh, way back in the, the Middle Bronze Age, uh, there were portraits. And before portraits, there were pictographs on walls, uh, for example, in Egypt and other places. People have been doing this uh, ever since man looked at himself and thought, wow, I think I'll draw that. And so, <laughs> so it's not a new thing, but it's, it's become really quite prevalent. Uh, heretofore, I think a lot fewer people did it. Now it seems that almost everybody does it. You can even get a stick called a selfie stick and hold it out and smile and get your very best angle. So um, I'm, uh, I'm sort of taken with selfies these days. Uh, this morning what I want us to do in looking at the Bible is I want us to look at four selfies. And the first selfie is Adam. 
And this is Adam before and after the fall. It's a combined selfie. Uh, the second selfie is all of mankind with Adam's sin imputed. Uh, the third selfie is Jesus Christ with the sins of the elect imputed. And the last selfie is the elect of Jesus Christ with the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. And so we have four selfies, but if you'll notice, we have three imputations. And I'm going to focus very strongly on these imputations. And the one is Adam's sin imputed to mankind. We'll talk about that in a moment. The second is the elect's sin imputed to Christ. And then the third is Christ's righteousness imputed to the elect. And that, that's what really drives this message, those three imputations. Now, someone may be thinking, well, what about this word impute or imputation? It's not a word I use in my common speech day in and day out. I, what does it mean? Well, the, the way we're using it, it comes from a Greek term, uh, logizomai, and you don't really need to remember that, but it occurs about 40 times in the New Testament, and it's used in several ways. It's, it's used... Um, of, of considering, consider this, legitimai, consider this. It's used of um, reckoning, reckon this, and then it's, it's used more, uh, and those are all very similar to the word imp, English word impute. So uh, to, to, to sort of illustrate, uh, what if someone found out uh, your checking account number and they went to your bank, and they wrote out the bank slip, and on that bank slip, uh, they didn't withdraw any money, but they put in, let's just say, for fun, a million dollars. Now, a million dollars isn't really worth a million dollars as it was 50 years ago, but still, you know, it's a good piece of change. And they put this in your bank account. That money has now been imputed to your account. It's yours. It's reckoned as if it belonged to you because it now you're the owner. Okay? That's, that's the way we're using the word impute. Um, in, in, in a similar way, just suppose for a moment you have a sibling, an older sibling, and that older sibling is a great athlete, and you come up, uh, or, or maybe a really excellent student, and you come up two or three years after, and all the teachers still remember your sibling, and they liked your sibling because your sibling was, was a person of excellence. And their first reaction to you is that you're just like your sibling. And, and they sort of reckon that whole scenario, all those qualities to you. They may or may not be there, but you get at least for a while until you prove out to be better or worse, you're assumed to be like that, okay? So that's just to give you an idea of the way we're using it. So the first selfie is a selfie of Adam. Adam, the guy in the Bible, the first guy in the Bible. And what we find with Adam <clears throat> is that God created Adam, and after he, in fact, after God had made everything, it says, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Tov meod, it was very good. Not good, but very good which interpreters take to be absolutely perfect, uh, without any flaw whatsoever. As someone said, the uh, grammar is not all that 
good, but uh, God don't make junk, okay? And so <laughs> it, was, it was with pristine excellence what God created. He's a God, he's a perfect God with a perfect creation, and Adam was a perfect human being made in God's image and likeness. And so there we have him, and he's in the garden, and he's uh, naked. He and Eve, they're both perfect. They're naked, and they're not ashamed. There's nothing to hide. They have perfect relationship with God. Uh, they have perfect relationship with one another. They have perfect relationship with the creation that God has made, all the other creatures. Adam names the creatures. And so what you have is an idyllic world that God has made. And there is the first part of Adam. Now, God made a covenant with Adam. And this covenant was that uh, you, are, you may eat of any... Uh, a fruit of any of the trees of, in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat. And in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so there, there, I know the word covenant is not used, and not everybody agrees it was a covenant. I don't know what else to call it. There are the, there are the terms. And the implication, it seems to me, is there's, if, if you eat, there's death. If, if you don't, it, there's life. Well, what did Adam do? He ate. We can blame Eve, he did, but the bottom line is he ate. And his eating constitutes the fall. And, and so that's the other part of the selfie, the before and the after, the absolute perfection, the, the wonderful existence. And now there is a fall. And yes, he's still in God's image, but it's marred. There's the harmony that he had with his wife and would have had with all of humanity and all of uh, the creation is gone. That harmony has been broken. The woman that you gave me to eat, she gave me. The woman that you gave me, she gave me to eat. So there's the blame game, and she blames the serpent, and so on and so on. But the harmony is destroyed, and their harmony with God has been destroyed. They're now ashamed. They now seek clothing. They have something to hide. There's sin in the world. They're no longer acceptable to God. They're now estranged from God. They've broken the covenant. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. And the creation falls. I mean, I don't think we take the fall seriously enough. I, I don't mean you. I just mean... Christians in general. It, it was the thing that changed everything. And what we want to get back to is the new heavens and the new earth. And that, of course, won't happen until Christ returns. But in the midst of all this, God gives a promise. So we have this selfie, and God gives a promise. And in part of this promise God gives, he addresses the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, fatal wound. You shall bruise his heel, non-fatal wound. So this is what's called the protevangelium, and this is the first promise of the gospel. And this gospel promise grows and grows and grows and grows and grows all the way through the scriptures of what we call the Old Testament until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Messiah who was promised. 
So that's our first selfie, but now we get into the imputations and the other selfies. And the next selfie is the selfie of Adam's sin imputed to all mankind. And I will confess to you, before I even go through this, this is some of the uh, most, uh, um, I won't say confusing, I think it's pretty plain, but it, it's the sort of stuff when we study the Bible that it causes my brain to hurt because I just can't quite figure it all out because I ultimately I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man, a fallen man in Adam, and I, I don't ultimately know the mind of God. I'm not the infinite God, and so no one else is. And so we as human beings, as we study this, we, we have to admit this is, this is some tough sledding in places. But given the biblical data that we have, we try to add it together as best we can to come up, and that's what I've done here. So the selfie number two is Adam's sin imputed to all of mankind. And what I'm proposing here is that Adam stood as the head of the human race. He's the first man, he was the test man, and so he is the, what we might call the representative head or the federal head of the human race. And so when Adam acted, he acted for the rest of us. Now, not everybody likes that, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, but uh, I don't, hardly anybody argues with the result. I mean, look at the Bible as it unfolds. Cain murders his brother, Abel, or as my Africans say, Abel. Noah gets drunk and uh, exposes himself. Uh, Abraham fails uh, to trust the Lord when he should have at one point, at least one, and he also takes his wife's handmaiden to bear a child. And we might cut him a little uh, slack there because that was part of the custom of the day, but still, that wasn't God's design. And there has to be something lacking there, and and he wasn't as trusting of God as he should have been. Uh, well, we just have a whole list of people. We have Lot, we have Jacob, we have Joseph, a good guy, but I, I would take him to be a little bit of a braggart, maybe. Um, Moses, David, Solomon, Isaiah, um, Peter, uh, Paul persecuted the church as Saul, and, and it goes on and on. This is a small sampling of biblical individuals who are clearly sinful people, and many, many more. And so what we have here is, is, a, is a result uh, of Adam's sin is we have a fall in which uh, mankind is, is sinful and transgresses the Lord. Um, the question is not, is man a sinner? And, and, and I know people, there are people that deny that today, but I'm just sorry, they're wrong. Man is a sinner. It's plain. The best of us fail in obedience to the Lord. Um, the question is not, are we, are we sinners, but how did we become that way? Now, Pelagius comes along in the, uh, around the 4th century, and Pelagius says, well, uh, we, we, we stand on our own. We're, we're our, own, our own representatives, and somehow, some way, all of us fail. But 
we have no real relationship to Adam in this. You can't lay that on God that he gave us a test case man and we have the results of the test case man. Augustine comes along and says, no, no, uh, you've missed that. You need to read your Bible. And, and he, he develops something. And so then we, we get into uh, modern theologians. There are people today that deny that Adam even existed. Now, I don't have time to go into that and don't find it all that worthwhile, but of course he existed. I mean, read your Bible. He, Adam is there, and there's another Adam, and he's called Christ, the Messiah. So that parallelism is, is, is clearly necessary. And, and so there, there is a, there is a, there's an Adam, and there's a second or last Adam. And the first Adam stands for mankind as a federal head. I want you to listen to this from Romans, 12, uh, Romans 5. I want to read it again, just verses 15 through 19. And, and please just listen uh, for the one man and, and, and for the result, okay? Just, I'll just highlight this quickly. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of, the, of that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So how did we get where we are? Adam, 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 Adam. Trespass, sin, death, condemnation, made sinners. We, we are who we are because of the fall of our representative, Adam. Now someone may be saying, well, I didn't ask for that. I didn't sit down one day and say, Lord, I'd like a representative. Would you give me one? I didn't ask, and I, I'm, I didn't either. So I think I'm just going to say, no, thank you. <laughs> I'll represent myself. Oh, that's Pelagianism, but you're free to do that. Uh, the only problem is no one else has done any better, and um, you're really, I think, going strongly against the grain of the Scriptures. And uh, if you will not accept Adam as your federal head, why should you get Christ as your federal head? You see the parallelism? I mean, that's biblical. That's not Tim thinking it up or some theological writer making this stuff up. That's the absolute word of God. And speaking for myself, basing off of James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all, I, I need a federal head who can help me because I can't help myself. I cannot save myself. I can't do anything for myself, and I am condemned if left to myself. Also, bear this in mind, 
representation with Adam with people and Christ with people, this, this representation is really a common thing in the Bible. This is not the first or only times we see a sort of representation. Think of David. David numbers the people. And how many Israelites died because David numbered the people? I think if I read it correctly recently, it was 70,000 Israelites. Now, that's a lot of people that suffer because of the king's act. And the king was acting for the nation. And he did it wrongly. David commits adultery and murder. And guess what happens to the offspring of that union? Did that child ask for that? You'd be saying, well, I don't like that. That's just wrong. Well, you can say whatever you want, and I understand, and I feel a twinge myself, but that's the way it is. And we can go on and on. There's Achan, who took what he shouldn't have taken, and God not only executed him, but his family and his livestock. This is representation. It's federal headship. It's federal representation. But we see that in life every day. Uh, our ambassadors in other countries represent this country. Our, our, our elected officials represent us and make decisions, and we're stuck with it. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, but it, it's, it's ours. I think I first became aware of this sort of representation when I was a college student. I worked, I worked in college. I had to work in order to go to college, so I worked um, part-time during many of the semesters, and I worked in the summers. And for a number of summers, I worked for a company called Brown and Root out in the Gulf of Mexico, and we were laying pipeline. And I was one of the crew members out there working for the summer, and the pay was really, really good, so I loved it. And, and, but one summer, I was out there, and I was working, and the, the barge, we worked on a barge. The barge for, foreman just detested me. Now, probably you understand, occasionally somebody just doesn't like you that much, and that always hurts, but to have somebody just disdain me, oh, and I was just a college kid. I was a sweet kid, and, and how can, I mean, who's, what's not to like, right? <laughs> And, and so I go to one of the older guys. I mean, I'm a college kid that comes in for the summer, but they have these, these guys. We call them hands. These hands, they're older guys. They do this for a living. It's their life. And so usually you kind of get to know a couple of those guys, and they, you know, they think you're a silly college kid, but they, they, they like you, and, and they're nice to you, and they kind of nurture you along so you can do your job. And that's one of these guys was doing that for me. And I just asked him one day, I said, oh, did I do something wrong? I said, and I forget the foreman's name, but I said, that guy really doesn't like me, does he? He said, no, he doesn't. I said, help me. If I'm doing something wrong, help me. He said, he said Tim, you're not doing anything wrong. I said, you have to understand him, okay? He was married to this woman, and she really, it, the marriage didn't work out, and she really treated him badly, and he's very scarred from that. And this woman happened to have red hair, and he just doesn't like people with red hair. Oh, did I mention, I had very red hair in those days. You can't tell it now. And so, I, I mean, I really was uh, the, the, this red-headed wife who uh, <laughs> ruined it for all redheads was in some sense my federal head because I was a redhead. I mean, it, it sounds funny, but it, it was pretty hurtful. But the point being is sometimes you receive the results of what somebody else does or did or is perceived to have done when you had nothing to do with it. And that happens a lot. 
uh, and children surely understand this, when they're blamed for something brother or sister did, um, that never happened to me. Um, so Adam, for Adam to be our representative, there's, there's, nothing, uh, there's nothing unexpected or, or, I mean, just go with it because the Bible teaches it. And that's what I do with certain theological things. I can't really unravel this completely, but that's what it says, and that's the way it is, and I'm just going to go with it. So I go with this because the Bible teaches it. So Adam's sin has been imputed to us. This is called a, 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 what theologians call original sin. There are different aspects of that, but essentially he was our representative. His was the sin that brought sin and death into the world, as Paul clearly says. And so now the, the, the result is that we are born in sin, we live in sin, and we die in sin. Uh, Paul says this, uh, things like this elsewhere in, in uh, uh, Ephesians 2. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. In Romans 3, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who seeks for God. Uh, they have no fear of God before their eyes. And he's just painting humanity in general. And so, so that is man's selfie in Adam. That's where we are in Adam. And that's the first imputation. Adam's sin imputed to us. So we come into the world this way, we live this way, and as I said, um, without Christ we die this way. And that brings us to the third selfie. The sins of the elect of God uh, imputed to Jesus Christ. So... Christ is our federal head, as Adam is our federal head. Um, Jesus was absolutely sinless, where Adam was sinful. Um, Jesus is God-man, united in one person. Don't ask me to explain um, the incarnation. I can tell you about it. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you what theologians say. But we all scratch our heads as to how this could actually have happened. But it did. It's fundamental to understand and believe as Christians. The fourth thing that I would say here is that Jesus always kept the law perfectly. He never failed, not once. He was able to get to the end of his, of his life, his ministry, and say, everything you gave me to do, I did. I've done it. John 17. And then the last thing I would mention here in connection with Christ is, is, is our Messiah and representative is that he hung on the cross and there he passively bore the punishment for our sins where God poured out on him uh, the sins of, uh, that we, we inherited and we did in Adam. All of our sins judged in Jesus Christ. Now what was Jesus Christ like before, um, be, 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 before the cross? I mean, how, how would we have seen Christ if we'd been... Uh, Israelites in the day or Romans in the day and we'd seen Christ, well, we would have seen a man who was, as the Bible depicts him, a lamb without blemish. We might not have really understood that because he looked like other people because he was a human being as well as God. But we would have seen somebody that was, as I mentioned a moment ago, always obedient to his father's will. We would see one, someone who was completely free of any sin. We would see someone who lived his life in absolute perfection, the Bible says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh and yet without sin. It says he was tempted in all things like as we are, yet without sin. Uh, we would see someone who during his lifetime in absolute perfection was tempted beyond anything any of us could imagine. 
We would see him tempted in a dry, dusty, lifeless wilderness. Whereas the first Adam was tempted in the most beautiful garden that has ever existed. We would see one, someone who, while Adam was tempted once and fell, who was tempted again and again and again, and yet never once succumbed to the temptation. So that's Christ before the cross. Now look at Christ on the cross. The lamb without blemish. Isaiah, Isaiah I should say, I, I work with British people, so I try to adapt wherever I am. Isaiah writes in 52.12, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. And, and then Isaiah goes on in chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by man. He's on the cross now, okay? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Keying off this, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love the hymn, Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. Let me just read just a... A line or two or three. Tell me, you, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends, through fear, his cause disowning, foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would intervene to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. There's Christ on the cross, bearing our sins, having them imputed to himself, not that he became a sinner, but that he was judged as our representative with all of our sins upon Christ. He never yet, he never once sinned, but he was judged as if he was with our sins. So praise be to God. I'm so thankful for the second Adam who took the sin that was mine upon himself. The last selfie and the last of the three imputations is Christ's righteousness imputed to the elect. So uh, what I want to do as I close now is, is I want us each one as Christians, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to think about how God sees you, Christian. How does God see you? Okay? Does he see you in Adam with all the sin that... Adam, you've inherited from Adam and all the sin that you, you do? Is that what God sees when he sees you, Christian? No. He sees you in Christ. So let me, let me just share this because it, it's so encouraging to me. Paul writes in Romans 3, 23 through 25. I can still remember one of my first exegetical papers in seminary so many years ago. I had to write on this text. It wasn't a very good paper, I have to admit. 
but I've improved over the years. So, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are, here it is, justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. How does God see us? Well, here it is. He see us, sees us as those who have been justified, declared righteous. In Adam, we're declared sinners. In Christ, we're declared righteous. He sees us as those redeemed. We're, we're, we're bought back. We were sold into slavery. We're bought back and we're redeemed. He sees us as those um, where there is propitiation. God has been propitiated. He's no longer a wrathful God against us. Um, um, Jonathan Edwards wrote his sinners in the hands of an angry God. The imagery alone is worth the read, but to understand as you read that, 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 that fallen man and Adam is in a pickle. I mean, it's bad. People don't know it, but it's bad. Edwards got that. And he was simply trying to call people to reality. Well, there's even more. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. Praise be to God. Romans 6 says, We have died to sin and risen to righteousness in Christ. Our life is different now because we are in union with Christ. In Adam, we could not do anything but sin. Even our good deeds, our righteousness, filthy rags. Romans 8.1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. God doesn't see you, Christian, as one who is condemned, but one who's been justified. Romans 8.9 the Spirit of God dwells in us. Did you know that we are temples of the Holy Spirit? That's an amazing thing to think of. It's a down payment on the, 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 the future. It's a down payment on the new heavens and the new earth. Romans 8.15, we're adopted as sons and cry out, Abba, Father. I never really understood the fatherhood of God until my earthly father passed from this life. And I begin to lean on God as a father because I need a father. God is my father. He's Christ. Praise be to God. Romans 8, 28 and 29, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. I know this. In Christ, God is making every event of my life work for good for me to become more like Jesus. That's the highest goal there is, to be Christ-like and to please God as Christ pleased God. And then I'll just go to Colossians 1 where we were once alienated and hostile toward God, but now we've been reconciled. That sort of sums up a lot of this. So, what does God see is he sees us. We're not repugnant. We now have a sweet-smelling aroma. We're not shunned and condemned, but welcomed. We're accepted in the beloved. We are in the forever family of God. God is our Father. Jesus is our elder brother. The Spirit of God is within us as God's holy temple. That's who we are in Christ. Praise be to God. Which selfie is yours? Is it the selfie 
in fallen Adam? Or is a selfie of the crucified and resurrected second Adam, Jesus Christ? May God enable all of us by faith to come to Christ and receive all the things that are provided for us as Christ who serves is our federal head as we trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for your grace and your mercy and your kindness in Christ. We thank you, Father, that, that although our first representative failed miserably and plunged us into sin, our second representative, Christ, is far better and he raises us up out of the muck and the mire of sin and condemnation and justifies us and sanctifies us and makes us like himself and gives us his spirit to indwell in us. And Lord, we, we long for the day when we shall be with you face to face for all eternity and uh, embracing you in the new heavens and the new earth uh, forever and ever, all because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, the whole creation groans for this redemption. And so we thank you and we praise you and we ask, Lord, that you would be pleased to move upon hearts that if there are any here today who know not Christ, that you would bring them to saving faith and that for those of us who do know him in sincerity, that you would help us grow stronger in our faith and to love you more and more and more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.